Well, if you're joining us this morning, very quickly, let me recap that we have for several weeks been looking at what I'm calling nuts and bolts, uh, the things that are holding the church together. And we've looked at our purpose, a potential purpose for GPC. Uh, We've looked at our goals, and I won't rehash all that because I've realized that rehashing that takes too many minutes, and then the sermon goes too long, and I am sensitive to that this morning especially after last week with a 50-minute sermon. My apologies for that, but this morning, my goal is to have us done by spring. If you heard Jimmy's announcement, I'm aiming for that. Um, But even now, I'm wasting time. So here we go. Uh, The goals of the church. There are some very tangible fruit of the church. And God's Word, we've seen, has called us to be a people who bear much fruit. And so we've looked at worship Private and public worship is a fruit that Christians should bear. Last week we looked at evangelism and missions, that there is a private and public evangelistic and missional effort of the church, and we want to support that in our gifts and in our resources. That's the kind of church that the Scriptures reveal. And this morning we're going to look at the subject of prayer, that God's people are to be a praying people. And there are so many scriptures, so many passages uh, to consider, but my effort is to try to do this clearly and swiftly. And so when you talk about prayer, let's just admit um, we're not very good at it. Uh, Prayer is a deep subject, and we tend to, in our experience, swim in the shallow end of the pool of that deep subject. But that doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be true of you or of me or of our church family. And so we want to have a robust vision for how we could be more a people of prayer than we are. And we'll get into more nuts and bolts of those details later. But this morning, just to throw out the subject and to explore it briefly with the hope of seeing each of us grow on the subject and practice of prayer. So our text is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. But listen to what he says, and then we'll pray to understand it. Jesus says to his disciples in that sermon, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray that God would enlarge our understanding and our practice of prayer. Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you make us a people of prayer, as your church should be? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last night, Saturday night, I'm a preacher, I'm a minister. Every Saturday night looks the same. You're scrambling. How am I going to drool my way through another sermon tomorrow? And I get a text message from someone. I won't name them. But this person knew that I was teaching, preaching on prayer today. And they sent me a song. How sweet is that? They sent me a song. And you know what the title of the song is? I pray for you. I'd never heard this song, but they sent this to me as they knew I was teaching and preaching to you on prayer this morning. Here are the lyrics to that song. Brace yourselves. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who've done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. It's sweet, isn't it? Here it goes a little further. Then it says, he pauses... And he's going to pray. And his prayer says this. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Okay, so this person who sent it to me um, is my son, who made my oldest son, who's made a decision in the last week or two to go into ministry. I think he gets it, right? <laughs> I think he gets it. Saturday night prep. Um, so here's the truth of the, of the song. Uh, it's a breakup song. And it drips with bitterness. And this morning we'll use it as an example of how prayer is a weapon, but that's the wrong use of the weapon, right? You don't pray for harm or evil or hurt upon people's lives, your personal enemies. There is something about praying against God's enemies, and prayer is a weapon that can be used that way. The Psalms model that, and I'm going to give you an example of that in just a few minutes. But that's a negative example. That's the wrong example of how prayer is a weapon, and it can be used, should be used. So, I have counted six points this morning, but they're going to go fast. At least that's my plan. Point number one, so what is prayer? Let's just not assume anything. What is prayer? Let's let's say what it's not. Open your eyes to all the examples of what prayer is not. That country music song was one example. Another is this. Prayer really is not you're presenting a wish list 
to a cosmic Santa Claus or a cosmic grandfather who's just supposed to write the check and give you what you want. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is not a genie in a bottle, and if you rub it three times, you get three wishes or whatever the practice on I Dream of Genie was. Um, That's not prayer, but sometimes we make it as if it is. God's in the business of writing the checks to give me what I want. So if you think that way, feel that way, or your prayer life reflects that, let's check ourselves this morning. The second thing that prayer is not, though it is commonly portrayed this way around us, is prayer is not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not a lucky horseshoe. It's not our way of manipulating God to get what we want. But we can make it that way. I was reminded recently when attending a soccer game when I saw the Lord's Prayer used in the exact same way that my high school football team used the Lord's Prayer. And that was, I'm talking about my high school, right before kickoff, we would all get together. Everybody had to put a hand in. And we weren't going to do a cheer for our team. We said the Lord's Prayer. And I never thought about it until I, like I was in college or seminary, but the Lord's Prayer sounded like this. All right, everybody get in here. Put your hand in here. Our Father who art in heaven, amen. It was done. Now, why did we do that? Well, because we don't want anybody to get hurt and we want to win, right? That probably is the origin of it. So we need to realize it's not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not a way to win a game. It's not a way to get God on our side. Prayer is something that God has given His church. So what is prayer, positively speaking? Two quick definitions. One, our youth and our children are probably familiar with, and you probably heard as a child yourself. Simply put, prayer is talking to God. It's conversation with God. And that's right. Prayer is that, isn't it? It's not even just verbally talking, but communicating in our heart and our mind, crying out to the living of God. So that's a true definition, but it's best for youth and children. There's more to it than that that the scriptures communicate to us. So maybe for adults, for those who are growing in a biblical understanding of prayer, I think the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 98, gives us some great elements to check our understanding and practice of prayer. Remember the Shorter Catechism, historic church document, one that we hold to as a church, and it's just a question and answer um, rhythm of learning basic doctrine. Okay, so that's what this is from. And it says this, what is prayer? Well, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Do you see the layers there? It really helps direct so that we don't make it a wish list, so that we don't make it a lucky rabbit's foot. When we add those layers of what Jesus modeled in the Lord's Prayer, it helps us redefine our selfishness and thank God for His many mercies, and submit our will to His will, which is what every prayer should be. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Here's what I'd like to see. Here's my desire, but God's will be done. 
And that's a hard thing to pray, but that's praying biblically. Amen? Amen. Okay, three quick things. Things we should more carefully consider. And we will circle back to these in the future. Um, this will be another sermon on prayer in the future. But things briefly, we need to consider the privilege of prayer. That prayer is our coming into the presence of the king of the universe. And like a little daughter climbing into the lap of a father, or a son getting into the lap of his father, the father delights the interaction with his own little one, right? Um, humanly, we fail here, right? I understand that. Football game's on, little one jumps in your lap, boop, 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 boop. move, move, move. God, our Heavenly Father, never treats us that way. That's an example of how we get it wrong. But God says it's a great privilege to crawl into His lap and to be able to ask Him according to His will for what you desire. Secondly, the power of prayer. Evangelism and missions last week, I was tempted to put prayer before evangelism and missions because how can you have effective evangelism and missions without the power of prayer? You can't. But these aren't in chronological order. So we did that last week, and this week we're considering uh, the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Many stories to be told, and this morning is not the time to do it, of churches that were empty of children, and they went to prayer. And years later, those churches are full of children because God answered prayer and continued the life and reach of the church. God convincing, God wooing and winning sinners to himself. It's through the power of prayer as he blesses the preaching of his word. And then thirdly, the priority of prayer. If, if prayer really is a privilege and if it really is our source of power in ministry, it's got to be a priority. And we're going to have some application towards this at the end of the sermon, that if prayer really is a priority, are we bumping into opportunities to pray as a church as frequently as we should? And I think we'll find it'll be very simple to create some new ones in the future, some enjoyable ones, enjoyable prayer meetings. Imagine that. Okay, now moving right along, uh, who prays? Who prays? These are going to go quickly, I trust. Who prays? Well, there's an obvious answer to who prays, and that is disciples. Believers, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking to his disciples and says, this now is how you should pray. The Psalms themselves, the Psalter, models for us for how believers approach the living God. So that's the obvious answer. Who's going to pray if it's not believers? Unbelievers aren't going to pray. Believers pray. Now, the not so obvious answer to the question, who prays? The mysterious answer to the question. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27. Let this jolt you in a good way. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit mysteriously 
prays, intercedes on our behalf, on behalf of Christians, the church. So who prays? Believers. And thank God the Holy Spirit Himself, when we don't know what to pray, how to pray, He is constantly interceding for us. That's good news. That's part of what's true about the church and the gospel that we don't remember frequently enough. All right, thirdly, well, how do we pray? Is there a way to pray? Well, the whole nature of what Jesus says here is to teach us how to pray. But here are just a few little nuggets. Um, we obviously pray in private, right? Jesus says in verse 6 of our passage, uh, and when you pray, go into the room and shut the door. And in private, in secret, the Lord will meet you. He, he knows what your prayers are in secret and in private. So prayer is a private thing, right? So if you're a Christian, you should have a private prayer life. It should be a part of who you and I are. And that's where it gets a little personal, a little bit maybe uncomfortable for you, because maybe you're like, you know, I'm just not that, I'm not a praying person. If you're a Christian, you're to be a praying person. Have you been out to a, a meal in a restaurant at lunch or dinner and maybe seen a, a couple, an older couple, sit down? And we're not supposed to people watch too much, right? But maybe you've noticed that, um, boy, we've been here 30 minutes. Those people haven't even talked to each other. They're just eating a meal together. Because sometimes you can feel like you've already, you know everything they're going to say. We have nothing to talk about. I've seen this before, and I remember when we were soon early, early in our marriage, I don't remember if I said it out loud, I think I probably did. I was like, I don't want that to ever be us, right? We got to always be able to talk. So I think that Christians in prayer can be that way too. Maybe you just feel like it's old hat, comfortable with God. He's in the business of writing checks. I cash them for the things I want. It's a business relationship. This is how it works. That's a bad marriage. That's not how marriage is supposed to be. And it takes effort. It takes work. It takes discipline. The discipline of cultivating a prayer life. So prayer's got to be private, but it's also public. Um, we did it this morning in our pastoral prayer. We do it each Sunday, but publicly we can come together and all of us pray together, pray before the living God and make petitions and requests of Him. That's a part of what the Scriptures give us. Your elders are going to meet today and we're going to pray for the church. We always pray for the ministries of the church, the families of the church. Your deacons, when your deacons meet, they do the same thing. They identify needs, they seek to meet needs, and they pray for needs. Good grief, we don't even play pickleball up here during the week without making sure that we don't spend the last 10 or 15 minutes pulling aside and praying because we're the church. So whether it's four of us or eight of us, pretty much every time, we're, we're going to pray together. What are things we can pray for your family or for you? Christians pray privately. They pray publicly. It may be new to you. It may feel awkward, but it's one of those things we've got to get used to, right? If it's going to be a healthy marriage, we're going to have to talk to each other. So how do we pray? We pray in private. We pray in public, and there is no need for babbling and impressing others with our language or going long. The Lord knows our needs. 
We simply present them to Him. We also pray when we do have a prayer meeting and get together. What are the first things we say? Uh, we have various personal needs. I pray for my uncle. He had a heart attack this week. That's a good prayer request. That's an appropriate prayer request. We have church family needs. Hey, pray for this group. They're going on a mission trip. Let's pray for the Lord to bless them. There are local needs in Greenwood, national needs in our country, and of course we know world needs across the globe. And we're to pray for all those kinds of things. We're supposed to be wrestling in prayer over those kinds of things. Listen to Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Boy, here's a great um, theme verse for our prayer lives. It says this, Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What if we were a church of Epaphrases? Like you just knew, man, these people will go to the mat, literally. They will wrestle in prayer for your family, for your health, for your well-being, for your ministry, for your vocation, what you're doing Monday through Friday in the week. That's the nature that the church should have in prayer. We should be those kinds of people, but sadly we're not. We pray in private. We pray in public. We pray for those various personal, interpersonal needs. And then fourthly, we pray for revival. Now that's old language. We don't talk about revival very much. Uh, if you grew up in the southeast, you know that usually, what, is it around August or so, it's time for revival. Revival services in the church, right? So in Presbyterian traditions, we don't really have revival services. We have what we call special services. And we bring in a theological conference speaker, right? That's what we do in the Presbyterian world. But the whole nature of it used to be, how it began was, hey, let's make sure we're preaching the gospel and trying to reach the unreached. So let's create an event and speak to it. And it got called revival. And then it got weird and awkward. But it never was supposed to be weird and awkward. It's just supposed to be who we are and what we do. But by praying for revival, what I mean is, we're praying for the church, local, and the church universal. That God would do His work of ministry in reaching people and bringing them into His church when we pray for revival, or what I'll call gospel ministry, we're praying for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin into the life of people, knowledge of the holiness of God into the life of those people, that all Christians would be, feel, would be filled with a joy in Christ and in the gospel, so that we're not walking around joyless and defeated in a sinful world when we're not defeated, we're praying for the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, to be faithful shepherds, because we need to pray for that. We need to work for that in prayer. And we're praying for sheep to be faithful followers of faithful leadership. And we're praying for conversions, transformations, just, just to happen in and through and around the church. That's what revival is, and we're supposed to pray for that. We need you to pray for that. It shouldn't be one or two people who are praying for that. It should be a body of people 
who were praying for that because it's a priority for us. So that's what prayer is. That's who prays. That's how we pray. And I've got one example, and I'm going to make it on time. Here, you want an example of, so I gave you a bad example, intentionally gave you a, a bad example of prayer as a weapon, right? The country music song, I pray for you, that drips with bitterness. So prayer is a weapon. The Psalter is a weapon. More on that another day. But here's a positive example of prayer as a weapon. So this was in the New York Times this week. Some of you may have seen it. But they have a prayer, a list, they had a number of prayers from Ukraine. This is a prayer of a Ukrainian pastor's wife. And this is how you pray offensively for the kingdom of God and for revival. This is how you pray against evil. Listen to this. It says this. Father God, May the attacker's fingers freeze. May they drop things. May they not see clearly. May their equipment malfunction. May they experience overwhelming hopelessness, enormous fatigue, and a complete loss of any desire to fight us. May their communication be broken. May there be confusion. Lead them to surrender to us. Stretch the kilometers before them into endless kilometers of non-advancement. Remove their leadership and replace them with people who make decisions that reflect a fear of you. Oh God, infuse defenders with incredible surges of renewed alertness, of strength, of hope of courage. Inspire those who want to help. Show them specific and effective ideas, but move them swiftly and safely to it. Lord, we fear the worst is yet to come if you do not stop it. Please, no peace where there is no peace. We ask for peace, united with righteousness and truth. God of all comfort, be physically present with all the mothers, fathers, grandparents, and children who are having to hide and hear and smell the enduring war. Warm them. Fill them with food. Give them water. Toilets communication with their loved ones. Give them the gospel, hope in you. Lord, we repent of making idols of political leaders and news outlets. Forgive us for wanting them to be our gods and saviors. Forgive us for being unreasonable, for not wanting to admit both the good and the bad in all leaders. It is this spirit that leads us to dictators because we abandon responsibility and reason. We confess the seeds of war that live in each of our own hearts. We humble our hearts and our bodies before you. We ask for your mercy. Thank you that love and mercy and all power is found in your name.
Somebody's been reading the Psalms and they know how to pray offensively against wickedness and against evil. You and I can be empowered to pray offensively, to see prayer as a weapon rightly used. Amen? It is a powerful privilege. It is given to us, to the church, to use, not to leave on the sidelines. So when do we pray? I'm going to finish quickly. When do we pray? Quite simply, the scriptures say early and often. In Mark chapter 1, which was in our reflection reading, it says, Very early in the morning, Jesus got up, as was his custom, and he went off to pray. So we, we, we can pray early. I'm not a morning person. Don't tell me to pray early, Pastor Paul. Okay, well then, pray midday. Pray at night. Just pray. We're to be a praying people. There's no other way about it. We're also to pray often. You know that familiar passage in 1 Thessalonians. We're told, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So quite simply, if we're the church, we're to pray early and often. It's just got to be a part of who we are. It happens naturally. It's not weird. It's not awkward. It's who we are. It's the great gift to the church. That's when we pray. Where do we pray? Well, the good news is you can pray anywhere, at any time. Now, in the Old Testament, you remember that if the people of God were going to draw near to Him, they had to go to the temple, to the tabernacle, to seek His presence, to seek His nearness in worship. But remember what happens in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost that we looked at this fall. God Himself comes to His people. The Holy Spirit indwells His people making us portable tabernacles of sorts. The presence of God in His church and His people, and now we're dispersed everywhere. Wherever you work, you're the church sent there, and you take prayer with you. Wherever you are in the week, you're the church dispersed. The Holy Spirit is in you as a believer. Now go and pray. Go and bring blessing on the earth by intervening, by interceding for God's people, for His church in the world. So where do we pray? Everywhere we are, anywhere we are. We don't need a priest to pray for us. We don't have to confess our sins to a priest. A pastor's prayer is no more powerful than a faithful Christian. We pray for each other because God is present and He uses prayer. It is powerful. That's where we pray. And then lastly, finish with this. Well, why do we pray? Why well, pray if God's sovereign? If God's in control? If all things are in accordance with His will, then why pray? What's the point? Well, that's the typical, usual, hard question for another sermon on another day. But I'll, I'll tie the bow with that subject, with that question, with this. A quote from Sinclair Ferguson from his book, devoted to God's church. Why do we pray? He says this. We pray to God because He is great and glorious. And we pray to God because we are weak and helpless. Do you hear what he did? He said there's really two reasons why we pray. We pray to God because of who He is. 
And we pray to God because of who we are. We can't do anything apart from His mercy, His strength, His goodness. And we pray to God because of who He is, His nature, as the one true living God, that He loves His people. His covenant is from everlasting to everlasting. And so we pray to Him. That's why we pray. Now, there are a lot of other questions to ask about why pray, and we'll get into those another day. But I'll finish with this. So what does all this mean for a church? A church like Greenwood Presbyterian Church. Well, like I've said, it means we really need to prioritize prayer. We probably need to creatively um, introduce prayer meetings that are faithful and enjoyable times for the church family to gather and learn to pray together. That our children would learn how to pray at church prayer meetings. I think that those things are probably very doable for us and would probably strengthen us as a church and strengthen our ministry. So I want to encourage you, think creatively. Um, If we have a prayer event and you can't be there, you can host the prayer event for those who can't be there by Zoom or in your living room or on another night with people. Or maybe you want to start a prayer group. Maybe, I used to say this to college students, maybe leading a Bible study is overwhelming to you. Well, would you consider, consider leading a prayer group? Have coffee and dessert and have some folks over for prayer. Could you start there? Could you make it enjoyable fellowship where we really pray for the church, for its people, and for God's work in the world? Intentional prayer, purposeful prayer. There's all kinds of things we can do as a church. We can do them together. And by emphasizing that and doing it together, it'll be for our good. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, would you work that kind of heart in us that slows down enough and that is willing to learn to pray or to pray more or to be more disciplined in our prayer because we really do want to be the church. We want to learn what it is to beseech you, to seek you wholeheartedly as the hymn we're about to sing models for us. So Lord, cultivate that heart in us that we might seek you more urgently, more fervently. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.